This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm Chief Content Officer of the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs, where we publish a daily newsletter for entrepreneurs called The Morning Report. You can find it by Googling The Oxford Morning Report. As usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. The show is about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If you've got a question or concern about your business, especially if it involves the financing of the business, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And remember, this is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to the show is probably struggling with it too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. And by the way, there's also no need to tell us your name or the name of your business. So if you want to get into the nitty gritty of what it takes to finance and build your business with our guest who I'm about to introduce, feel free to do so without telling us (laughs) who you are, where you are, what your business does. Um, Although we may ask some questions um, that you can just give us, paint a picture for us about what you do so we can understand what you're trying to do. Our guest today is Ami Kassar. His business is Multifunding, which is based right here in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. It helps businesses obtain financing, figure out what their needs are, what their options are. Ami's also author of The Growth Dilemma, Determining Your Entrepreneurial Type to Find Your Financing Comfort Zone. It's a terrific book that I highly recommend. Um, if you've got a question about how to finance your business, trying to figure out whether you qualify for a bank loan, considering taking a loan from an alternative lender, we'd love to hear from you. Call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's one 942 Ami, welcome back to the show. Lauren, always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, always our pleasure. So uh, real quickly, t- tell us about multifunding. What, what do you do? Sure. So I started multifunding about nine and a half years ago. That's amazing. <laughs> I got fired by, from my corporate job on a Friday by the bankruptcy trustees, and I started multifunding on Saturday. And what I have the great fortune of doing is listening to the stories of business owners and entrepreneurs around the country to what their challenges are, what they want their business to become, and help them advise them about different financing strategies and the pros and cons of each to accomplish their objectives. So we hear stories, and then if our clients want our help, we package up their loans and we take them to a network of lenders we've built around the country to help them get debt financing that they need to grow. So um, take us through the process a little bit. Somebody gives you a call. They have a need, they believe, for financing. What, what kind of questions you, do you ask to determine what their best path might be? So there are a couple of questions. Some are mechanical questions about their financials and their collateral and their credit and their cash flow and how their business is performing. So those are one important set of questions. But another maybe just as important question is what are you trying to accomplish? And what do you want the money for? And how much do you need and for what? And oftentimes those answers are are just as important and a lot less clear. 
So many times people feel they need a lot more money than they actually do. Or they fall for what I call the is the shark tank myth, which is this assumption that they um, they need the money in a lot of money in order to grow and expand a business, and they need an investor to do that. And I encourage people to take it into bite tr- bite chunks. How much do you need for the next year? What are you going to do with it, and what return are you going to get from that investment? So, if the um, let's say you need um, someone might say to me, "Oh, I think I need a half a million bucks." but they're not quite sure for what. I'll say, okay, well, go home and go back and write down what you're going to do with that half a million dollars, where you're going to invest it, what return you expect from each investment, and how that's going to work. And once you've done that exercise, put that piece of paper aside and go do that for a quarter million dollars or half. Do that for the quarter million dollars. And then do it again for $125,000. Nine out of ten times, people need around a third of the money that they think they need, at least for the next 12 to 18 months. And if you put it down into bite-sized chunks, it becomes more manageable and easier to push your business forward and keep growing. Interesting. In your book, you uh, walk people through an exercise where you you ask business owners to uh, say, what would you do if you had, I think, a million dollars? Sure. Number used. Why why, why do you ask uh, business owners that question? Because it's it's almost like it's an epiphany moment. Sometimes uh, I find, including I'm just as guilty of this myself, uh, when we're running our business, we're in the day-to-day grind and we're in the mechanics of it. And it's tough to think about different scenarios or different options or what we might do next. And so if you suddenly ask the question, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? Now, you cannot use the money to go buy a shore house or a vacation house or a fancy <laughs> Ferrari or something. You either have to use the money to invest in your business or invest in a mutual fund of your choice or something that you don't control. And the question then becomes, um, well, how would you split your trips and what return would you expect from each investment? Sometimes people say, holy cow, if I had an extra million dollars, I might put $800,000 in my business to hire more salespeople or buy more equipment or expand my facility or do this or that. And I know if I had that money, I might get a 40% return on it. And the next question is, well... Why aren't you doing that? If you can go borrow that money at 6 7 or 8%, and if you comfortably feel that you could get a 40% return on what it takes is necessary to take to push your business to the next level, it is something that you should consider. I'm speaking with Ami Kassar, founder of Multifunding. He's an expert in small business finance. Do you have a question about your business? Are you struggling with financing? Are you trying to figure out how whether you qualify for a bank loan, for an SBA loan? Um, do you know if you get turned bound by one bank, is it worth uh, applying to another? Whatever your question, give us a call. Ami is here, ready to uh, provide the answers. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Ami, do you focus on a particular size business? Uh, we we work with businesses um, across all sizes, although most of the businesses we work with typically have at least a million dollars of revenue, and it can go as high as fifty or seventy five million. But and I just want to reassure the listeners out there: I'd love to take your questions, and sometimes, understandably so, people might be able nervous to say, 
or I'm calling from Don's Tackle Shop and, or whatever it might be and, and share your um, financial, intimate financial secrets. So uh, it's okay. You can say, <clears throat> my name's Henry and I'm calling from Lewis's Tackle Shop in <laughs> a different city or state. It's, it's okay. You can hide your identity. What's more interesting and what we'd love to do is have you up here asking your questions and talking about what your financing challenges are. At, again, at 844-942-7866. Well done. Um, maybe as an example, we could kind of walk through sort of a, a case study type situation. Have you had an interesting uh, circumstance with a business owner recently that you could walk us through what the what this owner was facing, what sure. options that uh, he or she had? Sure. So one example I recently dealt with was a business owner uh, down in Atlanta who ran a web development firm. And he'd been at it for several years, and he had about a million dollars worth of revenue, and he was able to eke home a salary of about a hundred grand a year out of his business. His shop was running at about fifty percent of capacity, and frankly, he was kind of stuck. And I asked him the same question I asked many people: "Is what's it going to take to push your business to the next level?" And he did, did, did he have an idea why it was running at fifty percent capacity? He couldn't get the sales in the door. He just. And he was really the chief bottle washer, like so many business people are, and he really felt that he needed more salespeople. And he felt that that was a feet-on-the-street type of business. And to do that, he felt that he needed a um, brilliant extra salesperson, which was about a fifty grand a year investment. And he was struggling with the idea of adding 50, a fifty grand expense because... He was earning a hundred grand a year. How could he possibly afford that? And he fit into the pattern I see in many business owners, which I call managing their business like their household budget. If you can't afford it, you can't do it. And that's a totally legitimate way to grow your business, but there are other ways to think about it. What I tried we showed him through showing him some cash flow models and forecasts was and this was beyond his wildest imagination. He was struggling with the idea of hiring one salesperson. As we all know, salespeople are a coin flip. You can hire one, you can train them up, and it easily is not going to work out. What we showed him is if he wanted to, he could actually afford to hire six. Knowing that by hiring six, a couple of them would not work out, and a couple of them would work well than others and others. And by hiring six, his cash flow hole at the lowest point would be a hundred thousand dollars. Actually, cash flow hole meaning the he would be negative cash. Actually, about seventy five thousand dollars. And so, where is he going to come up with that seventy five grand? If he wanted to, he could go to the SBA and get a ten year SBA loan for a hundred grand. That would be a monthly payment of about eleven hundred dollars, eleven hundred fifty dollars, and he could afford it. So, let's talk about the scenarios. Scenario one is he just does nothing or maybe ekes it out and hires one salesperson. In all likelihood, next year his sales are going to be another million bucks and his revenue will be a hundred grand. The other solution is, and it seems very scary, is hire six and borrow $100,000, which is a monthly payment of $1,125 or $1,150. If that works for him, it's terrific. And he'll be on his way to doubling his revenue and doubling his profit. If it doesn't work for him, 
and he hires all the wrong people, and the model is all wrong, and it's all a disaster. He has a monthly debt payment now for 10 years of $1,150, which he can handle because he's making hundred grand a year. If it works half as well, half of what his expectations are, he'll still do great. And that's using leverage, in my opinion, in a responsible way to think about growing your business and pushing it to the next level. Your, um, your assumption here is that he would, uh, would qualify for a 10-year SBA loan uh, if he went. What, what You must have known certain things about the business to give you the confidence that he would be able to do that. What did you have to review to, to see that he could qualify for that loan? Well, again, always the devil's in the details. So on a high level, he's making $100,000 a year. And assuming his credit's pretty good, that's what he's able to pull out of the business a year. And so the lender's saying, well, this guy's debt payment's going to be about 15 grand a year or about 15%. He can probably handle that. If he was looking at, say, he might say, I don't want to do the SBA. I'll just do that 100 grand on a five-year note from a regular bank note. And he had a monthly payment of $2,500 a month for the shorter amortization. Then it gets a little tougher to think if he can do that and pay his mortgage and, and do all those things. Now, what he might be tempted to do, which I would say is a terrible mistake because it's so easy and con so convenient, is just go and get a $100,000 loan from one of these online lenders who would – offer him the money in 24 to 48 hours in exchange for a daily payment of $969 or thereabouts a day. That would probably be a disaster because there's no way that those salespeople are going to pay for themselves and that investment's going to pay for itself in time to get the $969 a day. There are lots of reasons why people borrow money. Um, Sometimes they buy, borrow money to buy equipment. Um, they might borrow money to expand to a different location. Um, I think there, there are good reasons and bad reasons for borrowing money. This is an interesting one to me, to borrow money to hire additional employees. It, when is that a good idea and when is that a bad idea? It does make a difference that you were talking about salespeople here who are going to be directly involved in, in generating revenue. It's always frightening to borrow um, money to hire more people because uh, if you're wrong about your hires, you've got nothing left. If you buy a piece, you buy of, a machine. Yeah, you buy a machine. piece of equipment, and you can't get enough business to meet the machine tick. You still own the piece of the equipment at the end of the year, even if it has some value. So, hiring people, use, borrowing money to hire people, can be a much more frightening proposition. However, in this economy where so many businesses are service based. The reality is that hiring people is a, a big part of life, and it's the asset of these businesses. And so sometimes the entrepreneur has got to be comfortable overcoming that fear in, if they want to really push their business to the next level. Um, 
let's um, we'd we'd love to talk about your business. If you have a question, if you're listening to Ami talking and you're thinking about your situation and there's something you're not sure of, you'd like to get some expert advice. Please give us a call. We're at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let's uh, let's take a phone call right now. Uh, Orion in Denver. Welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. What's on your mind? So I recently founded a company, the Black Travel Box. So we make hair and skincare products for travelers of color, which means, you know, as a CPG business, we carry a lot of inventory and do have needs for like working capital. My challenge has been going to, um, you know, local banks and organizations trying to get potential, you know, debt funding and financing that will enable us um, to build up that inventory. And I've been running into a question of, well, do you have the cash flow to actually pay for these loans? Um, but we haven't actually launched the business yet. And so we're kind of getting that friction of we're not an established business and company that's been running for a while. Um, and so as a startup, is there a way to actually get access to that type of financing? Thank you so much for your call, Orion. This is it's a great question. I think lots of startups deal with this. It's it's such an obvious dilemma. If you haven't started the business yet, can you qualify for a bank loan? Because that's one of the things that I think for if if you can't get the bank loan or you don't even try, you end up going to investors and giving up uh, a piece of your company, which you inevitably or often anyway end up regretting later. Uh, Ami, what would you suggest? Sure. Thanks for calling. It's always much harder for a startup to get debt financing, uh, but it's not impossible. And it's going to really rely on having a well-thought-out forecast and reasonable projection to do it. The SBA does have some loan programs uh, that will lend up to $150,000 for a startup, um, and it's under reasonable terms over 10 years. You have to go to your local SBA or office and specifically ask if there is an SBA lender that they're aware of that will do startup loans. And if they are, you have to be prepared with a good, well-thought-out forecast. There also uh, are organizations called CDFIs, community, community development funds like Axion around the country, who will give small loans to startups to help them get off the ground. They will often be tied to needing a business plan and some forecasts and projections. But it's work, but it can be well worth it. And don't give up and don't rush to give away equity. Go find the right resources. Sometimes, uh, like here in Philadelphia, there's also a small business development center or called an SBDC. And these SBDCs will help you um, to find the uh, solutions you uh a want or need. Sometimes there are even particularly in your case, or it might be like a woman grant program for starting a woman owned business that can help you. All right. Is that helpful? Have you tried any of those things? Yeah, no, it actually is helpful um, because I think the language is going to be important in terms of, you know, kind of asking for the loans and loan resources. I have gone to a CDFI before uh, and I don't think they were as familiar with startups. So they were like, oh, sure, we can do it. And as we went through the process, it was like, oh, we didn't really realize that you're pre-revenue. But Orion, <laughs> what you might want to do there is you have to interview your lender right up front. 
how many startup loans have you done in the last year? And if not, well, do you know any other CDFIs around the nation or in the area or the region who do that? So it's about trying to avoid a long, arduous process and trying to find out if this is somebody who's capable of doing what you want to do early on. Uh, Ami, is this the kind of situation where an owner typically has to end up putting up some form of collateral? Um, Uh, Yes yes or no, but the owner is going to have to be willing to personally guarantee the loan. So the owner is going to have to be willing to say, I have enough confidence in their ability to pull off this business that they're saying, if this business doesn't work out, I'm still responsible for paying back this debt. How does that sound, Orion? Um, I, that's exactly the approach that I, that I think about it. If I can't make this thing work, then I'm going to pay everyone back. So, <laughs> uh, but that is very helpful. That's very helpful. Cause I was thinking about it more as, um, you know, almost the pauper with the handout, like, Oh, please, can you help me get cash? But I think that having that mindset of, well, let's make sure that it's going to be a good fit just as we would do if we were looking at investors. Um, is is a nice way to kind of approach that and interviewing them up front so we can avoid some of that that runaround. I also think it's important, Orion, to just – and people have to realize this. When you're talking to an investor or you're talking to a lender, it's very different language. Investors buy dreams. So they want to think about and see, oh, this could be a $100 million business. I could get 10 or 20 times my money back in a couple of years. You want to show a lender a much more conservative forecast and much more reasonable they can say, oh, I can see that. That feels fair and that feels logical and that feels right and that feels reasonable. Remember, lenders manage risk and investors buy dreams. And if you approach a lender with the same pitch, the same story as you approach an investor, you're going to be in trouble and the other way around. Orion, I bet in Denver, where there's so much entrepreneurial activity these days, uh, I bet if you have this conversation with people, most of them are telling you, why don't you find an investor? Am I right about that? Yep. Yep. And how have you resisted? Uh, what, I actually... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just... How have you resisted that? Why, why are you not racing to do that? Well, I think there's a couple things. You know, we I do have you know, some friends and family that have, you know, helped to support the business a bit um, from sort of an angel perspective. Um, But, you know, ultimately I look at, you know, our business and our cohort that we're actually targeting and supporting the customer that we're serving is one that is very aware of like sort of bigger companies and the, the quote unquote sellout model, right? So you create a business and then you sell it to another one or you sell it to a VC and they completely sort of changed the model, and it's no longer for that person, that customer that you were going after. And so that's something that, you know, from the inception of it, I've been really mindful of in terms of serving our customers because not a lot of people are serving our customers. Uh, So there's that piece as well as, you know, eventually I want to make sure that I have as much control as possible. This is why I built the company. I have 15 years' experience in corporate, and I don't want to see this company become – some of the places that that I've seen and experienced, you know, in the in the farther future, I think keeping it private and keeping it privately held um, is is just really important to me. Terrific. Um, my only thing I would add to that is to everyone out there listening. Remember, at any junction along the road, whether it's a startup or future down the way, you always um, 
when you need money or you think you need money, you should think about investor or lender and understand the pros and cons of each. Just remember when you're going to take the money from a lender, you're on the hook for paying it back. And when you're going to take the money for with an investor, whether you like it or not, you just got married or married again. And you have to really think long and hard about what that relationship looks like. Orion, thank you so much for your phone call and best of luck with your business. We'd love to hear back from you. Let us know how you do. Uh, Good luck. Um, If you have a question about your business, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let's go to Brandon in Florida. Welcome to Mind Your Business, Brandon. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Yeah, I uh, am in the. Uh, I have a business down here in uh, Tampa, Florida, and we are looking to purchase a building uh, for our operations. And I wanted to kind of see what direction would be our best way of, you know, starting that process. Ami, mean, my understanding is that the SBA has some great uh, options for people looking to borrow uh, to buy a real estate, and that not enough people take advantage of them. Absolutely, uh, Brandon. Thanks for calling in, Brandon. Is this a building that you're going to um, uh, occupy 100 percent of your business for, or would there be tenants in there as well? Um, we, we we would the, the building te- uh, technically right now has tenants, but we would be. Um, we would be moving into the building um, as the tenant's leases expire and run out. And will you occupy at least 51% of the building, Brandon? Yeah, yes, we will. Yep. Great. That's an important question for people to understand as you're considering real estate purchases and thinking about the SBA, which stands for Small Business Administration, as an alternative. Uh, SBA is not there for investment real estate, so you have to occupy at least 51% of the building for it. Uh, Brandon, my next question for you is, does your business currently have other debt? Yes. Yeah, we have about $400,000 of additional debt. Okay. And about how much is the building you're thinking about purchasing? Uh, About 1.3. So there are two SBA loan programs, and each of them have their pros and cons, and they both have to be considered. It's the SBA 504 program, which is purely for real estate or equipment. And there's the SBA 7A program, which is can be for real estate, equipment, debt consolidation, working capital, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes when you are buying a building and you want to use that opportunity to also refinance your current debt, as long as the the debt is that you're refinancing is smaller than the building purchase, you can take the whole thing and put it on a 25-year note. And so that can often make the cash flow work. So when you are looking at a piece of real estate to acquire, to open and run your business, it can be a great time to make the cash flow work to also refinance and restructure all of your current debt. And that can be a great thing and a great reason to use the SBA 7A. Does that sound like it might make sense for you, Brandon? Yeah, yeah, that actually would be fantastic. Awesome. Um, That's a really good idea. And, and what about what it, you said? Working capital. So does that mean they that you there would be other funds available potentially after you're doing that? Well, sometimes you can also get a line of credit along with your loan, uh, backed by the SBA. Or sometimes you can, if you have enough cash flow to back it up, uh, the SBA will write you a little bit of a blanket check. Or sometimes, if you want, say, new equipment for your yard or things like that. Again, if you have the cash flow to do it, you can add that into the loan. Okay. 
Okay. I mean, what are the questions that Brandon should ask himself to help him figure out whether he would qualify for, for such a loan? It's, it's really understanding what his, what, you know, his monthly, what his current rent is, what his monthly mortgage payment would be on the new amount of debt, uh, what his rent will be from the other tenants, um, what he could potentially save by refinancing his current debt, and that improves the cash flow situation. So it's simply about the cash flow. It's not about whether he's profitable or how long he's been in business. It's heavily cash flow driven. I mean, all those things go into consideration. But really, if Brendan, as an example, is paying twenty grand a month rent now, I'm making up a number, and he's been doing that yeah. comfortably for a couple of years. The lender is going to look at look at it and say, you know, if Net net, he's going to be at fifteen grand, you know, a month now. Well, he's probably in pretty good shape. If he's going to be at twenty five or thirty grand, well, then they're going to give them pause and they're going to want to look at it and think about it. Does it matter uh, whether Brandon has an established relationship with a bank? No. Usually, when it comes to SBA loans, while there are about twenty two hundred banks or non bank lenders around the country who do SBA loans. There really are only about, from my experience, about 100 who know what they're doing. And oftentimes these... How does someone figure out which are the right 100 to go to, Ami? Uh, it takes some work and takes some research and it takes some interviewing. And, you know, SBA loans are different than conventional loans. So you want to make sure you're working with somebody who knows their stuff and knows what they're talking about. If you get turned down by one bank for an SBA loan, is it worth going to another? Absolutely. People make that mistake all the time. They don't even turn down. They're just given some misinformation about the program by one bank, and then they assume they're out. Remember that every bank uses the program a little bit differently. Every bank uses their own credit criteria. Some of them use different parts of the program. Never make the mistake of one bank telling you no, uh, then thinking that you're out. It's a big mistake. Brandon, is this helpful? Yeah, especially, yeah, the two parts I took away from this, one was the refinancing of the debt into the SBA loan, and then to, if someone tells you no, to, to continue uh, trying somewhere else, because there's a lot of times that happens, you walk into a bank and they tell me something, and then I, I just agree with them. <laughs> so, yeah, they're very helpful. appreciate that. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, thanks for the call, Brandon. Really appreciate it. Uh, really interesting situation. Very helpful. I bet a lot of other people listening uh, got something out of that as well. Uh, if you've got a question about your business, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back in a couple of minutes. We're going to keep talking to Ami about uh, how to finance a business. We're going to talk about... Uh, some of the questions that you might be thinking about in deciding how you make this decision, what your uh, best options are. Uh, Ami referred before to uh, the potential lure of just taking the easy route of applying to one of the online lenders where you know you're going to get your money in in as little as 24 hours. Are there times when that makes sense? Are there online lenders that actually give you a a decent rate? We'll talk to Ami Kassar about that in just a moment we, when we come back. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again is Lauren Feldman. 
Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm speaking with Ami Kassar of Multifunding, which helps business owners secure financing. He's also the author of a book that helps business owners understand their options. It's called The Growth Dilemma, Determining Your Entrepreneurial Type to Find Your Financing Comfort Zone. And we're taking your calls at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. I know you're not a big fan of online lenders. I just wanted to hit this quickly because, you know, there there is a reason they've succeeded to the extent they have, and there are so many of them. Is there a good reason to, to use them? Is there a time when it does make sense to turn to an online lender? It, it can make sense to turn to an online lender when you're in the very rare sp- space where, you know, if you have something that if you got the money in 24 to 48 hours – and you invested in that piece of inventory or equipment or something in a short amount of time, you could double or triple your money, and that's guaranteed. Then it can make sense to (laughs) – Guaranteed? How often is that the case? It's not (laughs) to borrow the money against that. If you're tight for payroll or you just don't want to deal with a hassle for a bank or you're just – there they, are people who do that, right? There are people the who could qualify for an SBA and loan that's when they get and they trouble. don't want to go th- take the time. That's and when they go- get in trouble. Right. Financing is not supposed to be quick and easy. I'm sorry. And Have the banks gotten better at it? I mean, you, are they technologically not, advanced? I mean, yeah, yes, yet? but it's not supposed to be a fast and easy okay. process. It's supposed to be – take some work and you have to – supposed to have your dots, you know, your eyes crossed and your – Eyes dotted and your teeth <laughs> Not your crossed. eyes crossed. <laughs> and you have to – it's a process to get a loan at a proper rate and pay it back over time. And it takes a few weeks. And guess what? It's healthy for you. Are there any online lenders out there that give you a decent rate and that well, are – There are some. Those, there's less than a handful that will lend to you, say, on a three- to five-year amortization. And that gives you time to pay it back at a reasonable rate. And those, those can be very helpful. But if it sounds too good to be true and they're going to take the money out of your checking account every day and you can't calculate the APR and you sound like you're talking to a slippery salesperson on the other side of the phone, don't do it. (laughs) Great advice. Let's take a phone call. Simon in Montreal, welcome to Mind Your Business. How's it going, you guys? Doing great. What's on your mind, Simon? Uh, Well, I run a small uh, business with uh, Reclaim Lumber in just south of Montreal. And... uh, you know, we make, you know, I can't say huge amounts of money, but uh, we do accumulate a, a bit of bit of capital over time. And I was wondering what you could suggest in terms of um, in terms of being able to use that capital that you that you built up to invest it and to get that and actually, at the end of the day, get rid of whatever fear you have of investing it and fear of losing it. Are you asking about investing it in your own business or finding a place to invest um, separate from your business? That's not your main thing, Ami. But you have obviously you have these kinds of conversations uh, with business owners all the time. What what do you? How do you approach a decision like that? Well, I just think you have to think at any time for every entrepreneur what part of your net worth you want tied up in your business and what part of it you want tied up in something else. And it should be – there should be a, a balancing act. You shouldn't have everything tied up in your business. It can be a big mistake. The business is often going to hit a speed bump and then you have a problem. So um, I think you maybe need to talk with a financial advisor or planner and look at your overall financial situation 
and how much cash and how much of your liquidity or your net worth you have tied into your business and other things. And then – Yeah, it, it, sorry to interrupt you. It, 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 please. It struck, me as great, it, it struck me as great earlier when you mentioned that, like, it's a question of also getting over your fear, you know, because everybody has a different tolerance to um, – to how much how much uh, risk they want to take, right? Absolutely, and so that's one of the things we do in the book, The Growth Dilemma, is there's a few questions and everyone gets a, their risk tolerance score. And it's not that there's one answer or uh, one wrong, wrong right answer or wrong answer, but there's a score, and uh, that helps you just understand who you are and what you're comfortable with, and that can change over time as well. Simon, I've had this conversation with a lot of financial advisors uh, in terms of what kind of investments do make sense uh, for entrepreneurs? And the the overwhelming consensus from those conversations I've had uh, has been to you know, that, that risk may not be something that you do want to get over. That that risk, I mean, that fear uh, of risk it, it can be a very healthy thing. the The point that they've made to me is that entrepreneurs take plenty of risk in their day job. They're, they're putting it all on the line with the business that they're running, and they should not take untoward risks with whatever capital they manage to take off the table. Um, so that, that fear that you're sensing, that might be a very healthy, smart reaction uh, to whatever you're considering. And, you know, if, if you are going to invest in something, I, th- there are a lot of financial advisors out there who would tell you, you know, a, a good solid index fund might be the, the way to go. But respect that fear. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty evolutionary, I suppose. You yeah. got to just cut, you got to, you know, and it evolves over time. So make a plan and go for it. So. I appreciate your guys' time. Thank, Thank you for calling in. Thank you so much. We appreciate the call, Simon. Uh, if you've got a question about your business, please call us. We're at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 Let's go to Steve in Maryland. Welcome to Mind Your Business, Steve. Hey, nice to be speaking with everyone. How are you? Uh, we're doing great. We appreciate your call. What's on your mind? No problem. Well, I own a steel fabrication and installation company down in Maryland, uh, doing a lot of new construction and remodeling projects, working with developers and general contractors, and uh, have recently fallen into a situation in which I'm looking for additional growth capital uh, to to kind of fuel my backlog of projects for 2019. Steve, thanks for calling. Uh, Were you profitable last year? I wasn't, unfortunately. There was a slight slowdown in the market um, that caused some delays with some of our larger projects on hand. Uh, but the expectation based off of projects that we have in the pipeline uh, should provide for a very strong 2019 and, and 2020. Uh, so, you know, things are looking up. And Steve, do you, um, do you have a, any current debt or loans? I do. I currently have a a bank line of credit with Bank of America. Um, they have obviously seen our year-end 2018 financials and, and have shown some concern. Uh, so, you know, discussions are ongoing, but, but you know, there may be a, a scenario in which we need to look for an alternative bank at this point. So, Steve, your situation is one that often entrepreneurs struggle with, which is, uh, is your Bank of America line right now a conventional line of credit? That's correct. So sometimes there's a difference between a conventional line of credit, which is kind of like an open checkbook. Uh, usually they run about 10% of a company's top line sales. 
and they're not tied to any formulas. You can do what you need to do with them over the year, although usually the lender wants you to zero them out for one month a year. Do you recommend that most people have a line of credit for 10% of the... I think it's like an insurance policy. Everyone should have one if they possibly can get one. And, scare... and 10% is... As a thumbnail. Okay. Sometimes a company needs um, something called an asset-based line, which is a line more secured against their accounts receivable and their inventory, usually at about 80 to 85% of the AR and 50% of the inventory. So, Steve, what I would recommend you do is I would recommend that you look at your AR and your inventory levels, and if you're at 85% of AR and 50% of inventory, how those numbers would compare to the current availability of your Bank of America line. And if they're higher, you might want to move to an asset-based lender. Sometimes there's, these are... There's a, there's a lot of terms to unpack in there. You're, sure. you're talking about AR. That's a, a, <gasps> You're talking about accounts receivable, and uh, you're suggesting that a bank... Uh, in looking at Steve's case, I presume, would consider th- that an opportunity. Uh, well, let's ask Steve, how much is your, uh, uh, if you're comfortable to share with us, how much is your line of credit right now? Uh, it's it's for a half a million dollars. And how much accounts receivable do you have? Uh, Very, but probably anywhere from a million to a million and a half at any one specific point. And do you have any inventory? I, I do not. So let's say at a low point, Steve has a million dollars of accounts receivable at a low point in his cycle. It's likely that an asset-based lender would lend him at any time 85% of his accounts receivable. That might mean Steve could get his hands on $850,000 of availability now versus the $500,000. It's also going to cost him more money. It's probably going to cost him 2 to 4% more than the straight line of credit is. However... Sometimes it's just necessary. So, Steve, particularly if you are looking into a period of growth where you think your accounts receivable is going to get higher, which means you're waiting to get paid for work that you've already completed, you might need to change from your conventional line of credit right now more to an asset-based lending solution in order to help you push your business forward and take it to the next level. And by doing an asset-based loan, that's a way of dealing with the situation that Steve described where he was not profitable last year. Correct. Uh, A bank would would make this loan anyway against the assets, in this case, accounts receivable. Sometimes it's not a bank. Sometimes it's a private asset-based lender or sometimes it's the asset-based lending part of a bank. But to get a line of credit, you're going to have to be at least profitable last year if you had a downturn or a twist or a turn, you're probably going to need, and if you need the liquidity, you're probably going to need to move to an asset-based type of facility. Steve, what, what are you planning on using the money for specifically? It, it, it's really just the general working capital or operational capital as we continue to you know push forward on some of these larger projects. I'm obviously uh, you know, out of pocket with some expenses uh, you know, while I'm waiting to get paid from some of these larger clients and or larger projects that we're completing this year. Ami, does that make a difference? Uh, I think it's really important. It's an important question. And uh, it's really important for the listeners out there, I think, to uh, decide what debt instrument you're going to use for what. Lines of credit or asset-based lines are there for liquid, for working capital ups and downs, for emergencies, for waiting to get paid 
you've already made your payroll and now the customers are going to pay you in 30 or 60 or 90 days. That's what working capital or asset-based lines are for. If you need the money for making investments like buying a building or buying new equipment or hiring people for like a new management team or things like that or starting a new location, then it's much smarter to use term debt for that. But when you're expecting a big surge in your work and the amount of work that you're doing and it's going to take it's going to be more money you have to put out for payroll and wait to get paid for, that's a classic working capital problem. Steve, that's why I would recommend that you look at an asset-based line or an ABL facility. What's, what's an ABL facility? A- ABL stands for asset-based line. The other thing that's important, I think, for the listeners to know out there, there's a big difference between an ABL, and, which is an asset-based line facility, and factoring. So factoring is when the lender is buying your invoices and selling them to you at a discount and it's invoice by invoice basis. And that can be, can get quite expensive. So you should always look at and see if you're eligible for an asset baseline uh, before you're eligible for factoring. And Steve, by the size of your business that you're talking about, it would seem to me that an, an asset baseline would be well in your bailiwick and something that you should consider. Steve, is this helpful? That's that's a great start. Uh, certainly uh, a lot to take in, but um, this is certainly a new world for me, delving outside of the bank line of lines of credit. So this is uh, it has been extremely helpful. Well, th- thank you for your call. We really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with your business. If you've got a question about your business, please give us a call. We're at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight. Six six. I mean, Steve got it. Something that uh, we haven't talked about yet, which is the impact of general economic conditions. He mentioned that he did have a little bit of a reversal last year. It wasn't as successful as he hoped it would be. He did not, in fact, make a, a, a profit. He's doing better this year, um, and I think it sounds like he does expect to to make a profit this year, especially if he gets the working capital that he needs. But there are a lot of red flags out there right now. Um, there, you know, the economy has been great for a long time, um, but there are reasons people are getting concerned. Um, how does that factor into someone's thinking about whether this is a good time to to get a loan or not? You know, the economy is always going to go through cycles, and a good business knows to live up and down cycles. So, and sometimes in a down cycle or the fear of a down cycle is a great time to borrow money. I think it's less about where in the cycle you are than it is about how you structure your debt. And financing strategy is very much offensive and defensive. Explain what you mean by that. Well, you have to prepare for what, look at what the opportunities are that are ahead of you. And at the same time, you have to be prepared for invariably speed bumps that are going to hit you along the way and you want to be structured in a way that you can handle them as they come along. Defensive uh, strategy is having a line of credit. Let's just take, for example, if you have a pizza shop on the New Jersey shore and you don't have a line of credit and it's the middle of summer and it's Wednesday and your air conditioner blows and you need that fix like tomorrow because every day, I mean, you can't operate and clients aren't coming in the door without that air conditioning working. If you have a line of credit 
you can write a check. If you don't have the line of credit and you call a guy like me and say, go find me a lender who can give me 60 grand in 24 or 48 hours, what do you think those lenders are going to smell when I call them, Lauren? <laughs> Blood. You never want to be in a situation where a lender smells blood. So, well, let's go back to, to Steve's situation. He's a, he's a contractor. Uh, that's uh, a very cyclical business. It, it, you know, it ebbs and flows with the economy. Right now, he feels like his particular situation is looking pretty good. He's got – he sees projects out there that if he has the capital, uh, the working capital, he can take on and, and have a good year. But those projects – could evaporate. If the economy turns, uh, they go away. If he's borrowed money, he still has to make his, his payments. How, how, how does someone like Steve factor in uh, something like that at a time like this where it seems we could be at something of a, uh, an inflection point? Well, the nice thing about asset-based lines like I'm proposing to Steve is that they will grow and shrink as the economy or his pipeline grows and shrinks. So if in three months Steve has got $2 million of accounts receivable – if necessary, he can borrow up to 85% of that. But as his accounts receivable shrinks, his ability to borrow is going to shrink proportionately. But what, what, if, he, what if he borrows the money uh, and then his accounts receivable well, shrink? That, that's why you have to be sure to use it responsibly. So you have to be sure to use it um, to help pay for expenses tied to the projects that you've already done. People get in trouble when they use their line of credits or their asset-based lines to make investments. If you go get a line, of, you get a line of credit for half a million dollars, and you go use a hundred grand of that to go buy a fancy yacht or vacation somewhere in the Bahamas or thereabouts. Guess what? You're going to find yourself in trouble when that time comes for that to come due. So you have to be sure that you use your right financing instruments for the right solutions. Um, is there, is there a way, let me ask you this. You talk to business owners all the time. Uh, everybody's trying to answer the question, where's the economy heading? You've been doing this for almost 10 years now. Do you feel like you get a sense talking to, to your clients, to owners, where the, uh, the economy is heading? Do you see people pulling back right now? Is there anything that's giving you pause? You know, I find it. I always feel nervous to answer that question because I say, if I really knew, I love you, Lauren, but I'd be lying on the beach in the Bahamas right now, not talking to you. We're, we're not asking for a prediction. Okay. So that being said, all I can say is that it seems to us that a year ago when our phone would ring, two-thirds of the time it was for growth and one-third of the time it was for some kind of restructuring or tweaking debt or doing things to improve cash flow or somebody was a little worried that they were in a little bit of a tough position. Now, it seems like those ratios are flipped and about one-third of the people are calling for growth and about two-thirds of the people are calling because they're in some kind of speed bump or some kind of tricky financial situation that they need to work themselves out of. Now, I Is that a metric that you've tracked over the years? Uh, we, we, we do track it, but I'm always scared to use it because I don't know if it really means anything or not. Um, but that's just the reality of what we, we, we see out there in the street today. That's really interesting. So there used to be, I'm just jokes about it, there used to be a guy, a company, I won't name them, that would publish a small business lending index of 
um, all the small business, what they purported was an indication of the small business lending activity around the country. And it was all based on uh, what was going on on their uh, platform. And reporters would eat it up and they would call me and they'd ask me to comment on it. And I would say, well, guess what? I just went to the bus stop in Omaha, Nebraska, and I asked a bunch of small businesses about their um, what was going on? Would you like me to report that data to you? They didn't think that was funny, but I did. <laughs> As a journalist, I don't think it's funny either. Uh, Ami, we got a minute left. What would you do if I gave you a million dollars? Probably what I would do at this point is I would stash a bunch of it back into my savings account because I rapidly depleted and destroyed my savings account to build my business. That's what, what I would do and invest some, some small um, – but I've chosen, you know, I would say there's a tortoise or a hare approach to build a business. And whether I'm right or wrong, time will tell. But I've chosen to build my business more like a tortoise than like a hare. The most important thing I think that the listeners out there should think about is, and I hope the million dollars triggers you to think about, is really what do you want to be in a year or two or three from now? What are your goals? Are you happy with how your business is doing? Do you want more? What makes you happy? It's not about what makes somebody else happy, but what, what will motivate you? Are you happy with the way your business is I'm, going? I'm very happy with how my business is going. And, and why? What t Tell us. Because I think we have a cohesive team that loves coming to work. We're doing great work. We're passionate about what we do. We're making money, and we're pleased with how things are, and we're happy to grow at a slow and steady rate. Ami Kassar, thank you so much for coming into the studio and joining us today. It's been my great pleasure, Lauren. Thank you for having me. You can learn more about Ami at multifunding.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at A Kassar, K-A-S-S-A-R. We've run out of time, but we're here live every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. My thanks to Dion Simpkins, our audio engineer, and Dana Cash, our producer. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at L Feldman or check out the Oxford Morning Report, a daily newsletter for uh, with must-reads for entrepreneurs. Until next time, I'm Lauren Feldman, and this has been Mind Your Business on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. Thanks for listening, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 